us minds to understand and hearts that are eager to accept what you have for us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please uh, take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 10. We're in the very last portion of Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews reminds us throughout, as, as he quotes from the Old Testament, and he always says, as the Lord says, or as the Holy Spirit says, he's reminding us that this is God's word. And even as he's writing to us some 2,000 years later, it is God's word for us today. And so as we recognize that out of honor and respect for God's word, Please stand together with me as we read. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to ask this morning, uh, what, what is your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? There are all kinds of fears uh, out there, there's uh, arachnophobia. I think there was even a movie made with that title, right? Arachnophobia, fear of uh, fear of spiders, right? Oh, I've got that one. I don't know about y'all. I don't know what it's called to have fear of snakes, but I've got that one too. Um, there's claustrophobia, fear of being in tight spaces. I'm not so sure I have claustrophobia. It's doesn't bother me too much to be in tight spaces. Some people can't get on elevators or anything like that. But claustrophobia. There's fear of heights. Um, there's all kinds of fears that we have. Uh, interesting thing that uh, some scientists have studied this and they've done you know surveys of people and they found that the, the very greatest fear that anyone has in, in America, I'm not sure worldwide, but in America the greatest fear that people have you might think it's the fear of death or the fear of illness or uh, all these sorts of things. But the number one fear is actually the fear of public speaking. Do, doing what I'm doing right now is uh, uh, people's greatest fear in all the world. Now, uh, uh, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld picked up on this and he, he was talking about it. He says, you know, can you imagine the fear of public speaking being greater than the fear of death? Says, that means if you're at a funeral... You're in better shape if you're in the one in the casket than the one doing the eulogy. We uh, we all have uh, 
fears of different things. Um, some people use fears in, in a great way. Fear motivates, motivates us to different types of behavior, doesn't it? You remember when you were a child? And here's Mother's Day. And the fear that you had of the whooping that your mother was going to give you if you stepped out of line. That fear motivated you to, to stay, you know, doing the right thing, right? Um, our parents used fear to motivate us. Um, politicians use fear to motivate us, don't they? Every time an election comes around, the uh, politicians from one party will talk about the politicians of the other party and say, if you elect them, all the water's going to be dirty and Granny's going to be going over the cliff and, you know, it's just going to be terrible if you, if you elect them. They're going to talk about all the evil and terrible things will happen if the other party gets in charge, right? We use fear to motivate, and certainly terrorists use fear to motivate. That's, uh, that's their greatest uh, tactic, right? I'm going to make you scared of what I can do to you. Well, we see fear as a means of motivation for uh, so many uh, in our world today, but, but uh, it's really nothing new. The enemies of Christ have used uh, uh, fear to motivate for years. We've seen it in the book of Hebrews, and we see it in the book of Hebrews here again this morning that the enemies of Christ trying to uh, turn people from Christ by fear of the persecution and the hardships and the trials that will come upon them. And the author of Hebrews, knowing that some of those that he's writing to are, are, are uh, having uh, tremendous difficulties uh, placed upon them by, by the persecution and the trials that are on them, and the fear of even greater persecution and trials coming, he says, I need to encourage you. I need to encourage you, stand firm. Stand firm in Christ. Stand firm in your commitment to him. Don't let these, these, the fear of what could come or even is coming cause you to turn away. And so he encourages them in two ways that I want us to, to look at this morning. Uh, that He talks about two things that uh, he encourages them to uh, stand firm because of. And the first thing is to stand firm by looking back. Stand firm by looking back at what you've been through. In verses 32 through 34, he starts off saying, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, after you had received the light, after you had seen that Christ has come. He was a fulfillment of all that the Old Testament was talking about. And you accepted it, and you became a Christian. Um, remember that. Remember the good old days, right? Remember when my... my uh, uh, dad and aunts and uncles uh, would all get together and talk about the good old days, right? And all the different things that they would go through. And maybe we're of that age now, or most of us, where we talk about the good old days and our children look and go, that must have been amazing and wonderful. But when we were going through it, it wasn't so amazing or wonderful, was it? I remember my dad telling the story about the good old days when he was a crack shot with a slingshot, and he wanted to show one of his brothers how good a shot he was. And uh, so there was a leaf beside his brother's foot, and he was going to shoot that leaf with a slingshot. But he missed and hit his brother on the hill. And uh, he said the race was on at that point. Um, that, it, at that point, that might not have seemed so much like the good old days, because I'm sure when his brother caught him, my dad was the youngest, 
When his brother caught him, he probably got a pretty good beating. But it was a fun to reflect on that and think back on it, you know, the good old days. And he's saying, remember those days when you first received the light? Remember that at the, that time when you first became a Christian, there's nothing that seemed too difficult for you? Consider that even at that time when you were, went through these great difficulties, a great contest, he says, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, there was suffering that came as a result of what happened. Obviously, they were, uh, he says in verse 33, they were part of the suffering was you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Think with me just for a minute, because the author of Hebrews writing here, he's writing to Jewish individuals who had become Christians. They had looked at Jesus and they said, he's the one the Old Testament was always looking forward to. I want him as my Messiah. And they've received him. Well, when they did that, what happened with their families? Their families disowned them. Families booted them out of the family. When Mother's Day came around, they didn't get invited to come to Mother's Day or to all the other different things, the family gatherings. They were no longer part of that family. If they were working at a job where a Jewish individual owns the, the, the uh, business, they were kicked out. They were, they were fired, and then they were blackballed, and they were, they were told all the different um, businesses around, you don't hire this person because he's, he's rejected the true faith. They couldn't find jobs. They were laughed at and ridiculed. Um, it's interesting that the early Christians were also falsely accused of all kinds of crazy things. They were accused of participating in orgies. How in the world early Christians uh, accused of participating in orgies? Well, people would hear that they would have a love feast right? and that they would greet one another with a holy kiss. They have an orgies in there. They were accused of cannibalism. Right? Why were they accused of cannibalism? Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that the early church practiced weekly communion. And when they would have communion, they would say, we are taking uh, the body of Christ, we're eating his flesh, and we're drinking his blood. They're cannibals. Right? They were accused, this is an interesting one, that we wouldn't think, but they were accused of being atheists. Well, why were they accused of being atheists? Well, all of the other religions there, religions of Greek or Roman or whatever, those religions, they all had gods and they had idols, right? These, and they would say, here's my God, I can see him. And they would come to Christianity and they'd say, where's your God? We don't see him. You don't really have a God. You're an atheist. So they were accused of these things and many more uh, things similar, and they were ridiculed for it. And the author of Hebrews reminds them that, you know what, you, you, stood, you, you stood in the midst of that. You were persecuted. Other times, he says, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Uh, that's what we should do, right? When our brothers or sisters in Christ are being ridiculed or being uh, harmed in any way, we should stand together with them as part of being uh, the communion of the saints. Um, we shouldn't let a fellow believer go these kinds of things alone. We need to be right there with them. And he's saying, you did that early on. 
But in doing that and standing together with someone who was being ridiculed in such a way, you know what that would mean. It would mean the same ridicule, the same treatment would be brought on you. And you would be volunteering to have that same treatment brought on you. He says, you, some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and others stood with those who were so treated. And that means you're bringing it on yourself as well. Verse 34, he goes on talking about looking back in the early days. He says, you sympathized with those in prison. Why were they in prison? Why did Paul get in prison? Remember, Paul would go telling people about Jesus and salvation that we find in Christ Jesus. And places would wind up throwing him in prison. He did it in Philippi, remember. They, they, they even took him in, and he ultimately loses his life in Rome in prison, being beheaded. Um, others of Jesus' disciples finding their way into prison. They're in prison because of their commitment to Christ. They're in prison because of their faith. And so you sympathize with those in prison. And I think sympathizing here means more than just uh, feeling for them. Uh, those in prison in those days, they weren't provided for by the government or by the taxes of the people. If you're in prison here in America today, our tax dollars take care of you. They feed you. They keep the electricity on. They keep uh, everything you know, where you can survive there. wasn't that way in those days. If you were in prison, you had to depend on your family or your friends, your loved ones, to bring you what you needed to survive there. They had to provide the food for you, had to provide their clothing for you. Paul, in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, says, when you come, bring my coat. It's cold here. They're not providing it for me. Bring it for me, please. So they sympathize for those in prison means that those who are there because of their faith, well, you're helping them out. You're taking care of them. You remember what it was like. And then verse, he goes on. Um, uh, you, verse 34, you sympathize with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. We're not exactly sure what this is all about, but it quite probably has to do when uh, the Jews in Rome started fighting with one another uh, over uh, the person of Christ, the Christians and the non-Christians, and there, there, there began to be riots. And in 49 AD, uh, Emperor Claudius just said, I'm done with you Jews, all of you, out of Rome. And when they left, a lot of them had property. Where's that property go? Well, now it's mine. It used to be yours, but now it's mine. And they confiscated their property um, by, by kicking them out of Rome. And, and a lot of the Christians were knowing what that was like. They weren't the last to know what that's like, to have property confiscated. Certainly, we uh, saw it in the sixth, uh 17th and 18th centuries in Scotland with the Covenanters who uh, were, were, their property was confiscated by the government. We, we saw it in our own church, in the Presbyterian Church in America when we decided to leave a denomination that, that was no longer preaching uh, scripture. They said, we don't care if you had an 800 member church and 795 of you decide to go to the PCA. Those five get your property. And that happened time and time again. Confiscation of property. We see it 
all over the world today, especially in places like the Middle East where Christians might have something, but because of their stand for Christ, it will be lost, taken from them. And he's saying in those early days, you knew what it was like. You knew what it was like to have your, your property confiscated because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. It's an interesting thing. Um, when we die in this life, what do we take with us? We don't really take anything with us. Um, you don't see a Brinks truck following the hearse to the cemetery, right? We don't take any of our material possessions with us, but there are promises for something greater after. The apostle in the next chapter, uh, in chapter 11, um, verse 13, he's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and being in the, in the promised land, but yet they still didn't possess it. In verse 13, he says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitted, admitted that they were strangers and aliens on this earth. But they were looking, um, and in verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And uh, these people here are recognizing that God has promised us a, a, a great uh, blessing yet to come. We look at the world that we have going on right now, and there are a lot of things that we'd like to change. We don't like the suffering. We don't like the pain. We don't, and, and so much suffering and pain and so much evil in this world, we look at it and go, that's wrong. That's wrong. It, it shouldn't be this way. Where do we ever get that idea? Where do we get the idea that it shouldn't be this way? Maybe because it really shouldn't be this way. Right? There's something broken in the world. There's something broken. And every time we see an evil happening, we go, that's just not right. We long for something better. And they were longing for something better. Even with the possessions that they had, it couldn't, it, it couldn't make the wrongs and the evil right. But they're saying, God has promised that all this stuff that's broken, when Jesus returns, it is unbroken. It's made right. Book of Revelation, uh, the, uh, the last couple of chapters there, remember, after Jesus returns, then what do we see? This world is full of sorrow and pain and crying. He says, well, when he returns, there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. All the old things have gone, and everything has become new. These people here who are remembering their past, and they remember that their property was confiscated. They remember all these things that were, that were broken. And especially it seemed like because of their faith in Christ, it maybe even made it worse. You were saying, you know, back then you knew that, that, that it was broken, but that God promises to everything will become unbroken once again. And so the author of Hebrews encourages them not only to look back remembering those times when you endured those things, but he says, look forward as well. And so in verses 35 through 39, he's encouraging them not only look back, but look forward. Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly 
rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence in Christ. That God has promised to do all of these things in Him. You know it's true. And even though things will be difficult and hard and, and people are going to persecute you because of your stand for Christ, don't, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away on these things. You know you know that you will be richly rewarded if you don't. He goes on, verse 36. Um, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. Uh, that's a hard thing, you know, perseverance. We all find it hard, I think, at times. Um, we, we find it hard to persevere in a lot of things. Maybe some of you have decided it, it one time or another, I'm going to get involved in an exercise program or a diet, and I'm going to do it. And at first, it was so easy, the first few days or weeks. And then as the weeks roll into months, it gets more difficult. And before long, you go, what diet? What exercise program? They're gone. The, the, the newness, the shininess of them uh, faded. We don't want to do that anymore. He says, no, we got to persevere. What you need is perseverance. You've got to hold on to that. Hold on to God who is holding on to you. So he says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Well, what has he promised? All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. He's promised us new bodies, right? He's promised us what I already talked about at the end of Revelation. No more sickness or sorrow or pain. No more crying. Everything has become new. All that that's broken has become unbroken. Persevere. Persevere till the end. Hang on to that. Remember that uh, what God has promised. And remember that he who has promised is faithful. He will bring it to pass. And then he, he reminds them, this is kind of for a little while. It's just a little while that you have to endure this. may seem like a long while, but it really is just a little while. He says, for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. And Christ is going to return. But the early Christians had a, had a word that they used, uh, uh, come Lord Jesus, the word Maranatha. Come, it was a cry of the early church. Come, Lord Jesus, we're going through this. We're ready for you to come and deliver us. They didn't know his timing. We don't know his timing. But he will come at the appointed time, and he will not delay. And then he goes on to say, But my righteous one will live by faith in the midst of all of the trials, all the heartaches, all the suffering, you're going to live by faith, recognizing that God is going to send His Son back at just the right time. And I've got faith. I know it's true. But if you shrink back, I will not be pleased with Him. You're not going to say, all right, this suffering is too much. I can't handle it. And he's saying you've got to persevere. Stand firm to the end. Stand firm to the end, knowing the promises of God, knowing that His Son is coming to bring about the unbrokenness that we look for. So the author of Hebrews, he's saying you've got fear of all of these things that are coming. I want you to look back. Remember the strength that God gave his people throughout history. 
Remember the strength that God gave them as they endured such trials and hardships. Remember, even more recently, Corey Timboon used to talk about um, the fact that her father would take her and put her on a train to go somewhere, and he said he never gave her the money for the train fare until she was on the train. Remember that God always gives us the money for that. Remember that He always provides. He always has. And He always will. Look back, remembering how God has provided for His people throughout history. How He's provided for you throughout your history. And then look forward. Look forward remembering. Look forward to the promises that God has given us in, in complete faith and trust that he will bring it to pass. Look forward remembering that the one who's begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Remembering that he is holding you in the palm of his hand and will not let you slip away. Looking forward to the day of Christ Jesus. We experience a little bit of suffering in our day and age, and it, it could be getting worse. If you're a Christian, it becomes more and more difficult in our society for people and governments and things like this to say, they, they just want to say, you keep it there, you keep it within the walls of the church, and it'll be okay. We seem to suffer a little bit more persecution. I think it can possibly get greater and greater. We see it in, in the great uh, persecution around the world today. There are more Christians being killed and martyred uh, in our day than, than ever, I guess. Uh, churches in the Middle East being broken into and all of the Christians lined up and murdered even today. You don't hear a lot about it in our media, but it's going on. It could go on here. Maybe it's a generation or two away. But the persecution is there. How are you going to deal with it? Remember all that God has done for you in the past. Look forward to the promises that he has given you. And that he who has promised is faithful and true. He will bring it to pass. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Don't let any of the fears cause you to turn away. Stand firm in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.